the angel has shown Daniel all of these events that will take place in history. And we reviewed those last Sunday. And now he gets to the point that he wants to emphasize. And that is the reign of Antiochus Epiphanes, the monstrous monarch of the north, that is of Syria. Epiphanes is a name he gave to himself, and it means manifest one, or God manifest. But behind his back, people called him Antiochus Epimenes, meaning Antiochus the madman. He's the little horn of Daniel chapter 8. He's the forerunner or the illustration of the Antichrist who will come at the end of time. His deeds are predicted here by God through Daniel because he will be the Jews' worst nightmare. A monster who persecutes and even executes Jews at will. And here is his life, Daniel chapter 11, 21 to 35. Now, just as a reminder, what you're looking at with Antiochus Epiphanes, you're looking at events that happened in history, verifiable, in the years, in the 160s. Let's just go roughly that, 160s BC, before Christ. Daniel is speaking of these things roughly in the 500s. So hundreds of years before they happen, God tells exactly what's going to happen. Now, let me tell you the difference between God and Nostradamus. Some uh, People read some things sometimes and guys will make vague prophecies. And some of those may come true they're so general how could they not come true and so he supposedly Nostradamus uh, ancient writer supposedly had some ability to predict the future that's not what Daniel's doing he's not predicting the future he's telling us what God has decreed will happen that God will cause to happen when we talk about the foreknowledge of God, it's not God guessing about the future or reading palms or anything like that. It's about God decreeing and having decreed what will be so, it's easy for him to tell us what will be in the future because he will ensure that it happens just like that. I still get a kick out of uh, you know, going down Bridge Street and after crossing the bridge and I think that the place is gone now, but there's an old house uh, used to sit there. Maybe it's been replaced by a car wash or something now, but uh, there was a, a fortune teller, a palm reader uh, that used to have a business there. And then um, I hadn't been here very long, and before long, uh, the, the place was up for sale, and they'd gone out of business. And I thought, hmm, they couldn't foresee a downturn in the economy? Well... God is not predicting the future. He's not looking into a crystal ball. He's telling us what he's going to do. And that's what history is. It's a recording of what God has done. And here in the book of Daniel, for a brief period of time, he gives us this insight into what he's going to do in the future. Now, he's doing this for some reasons. And 
One in particular is for the comfort of his people. His people are going to have to go through some horrible things. And God wants them to know it's not by accident. It's not that circumstances have conspired. It's not karma. It is God who is orchestrating history. Well, Antiochus Epiphanes. So here's his life. First of all, invasions into the south. And so this is uh, picking up in verse 21. And so here's, here's what we look at. In his place shall arise a contemptible person to whom royal majesty was, has not been given. He shall come in without warning and obtain the kingdom by flatteries. We read that last time and I used it. We'll use it again as a jumping off place here. Armies shall be utterly swept away before him and broken, even the prince of the covenant. And from the time that an alliance is made with him, he shall act deceitfully and shall become strong with a small people. Without warning, he shall come into the richest part of the province and he shall do what neither his fathers nor his father's fathers have done, scattering among them plunder, spoil, and goods. He shall devise plans against strongholds, but only for a time. And he shall stir up his power and his heart against the king of the south with a great army. And the king of the south shall wage war with an exceedingly great and mighty army, but he shall not stand, for plots shall be devised against him. Even those who eat his food shall break him. His army shall be swept away, and many shall fall down slain. And as for the two kings, their hearts shall be bent on doing evil. They shall speak lies at the same table, but to no avail, for the end is yet to be at the time appointed. And he shall return to his land with great wealth, but his heart shall be set against the holy covenant. And he shall work his will and return to his own land. At the time appointed, he shall return and come into the south, but it shall not be this time as it was before. For ships of Katim shall come against him, and he shall be afraid and withdraw. What we see here with Antiochus Epiphanes is a history of his rise to power and then also the conquests of his kingdom. We see in verses 21 to 23 his character. And the Bible says that he will be a contemptible person. And there are three characteristics that I see of him that are, that are glaring. First of all, he's manipulative. It says that he gains the throne by flatteries. You see that in verse 21. He's, an, he's not supposed to have the throne. It's supposed to be his uncle. But his uncle's in captivity in Rome. And so... This one comes to the forefront and gains it by being manipulative with his words. A true politician. Also, he's deceptive in verse 23. It says that he shall act deceitfully. When he makes an alliance with someone, he doesn't keep his word. Then also, he is explosive in his personality. For verse 30 talks about he shall withdraw and be enraged and take action against the Holy Covenant. This is his character, the kind of man that he is. And when someone like this is in leadership as a world power, the results are never good. We can think about our own present day uh, contemporary world with Vladimir Putin and Russia, and the kind of crazy man he is. It reminds us of other world leaders of time past. They'll do anything for more power. They'll do anything for the admiration and fear of the world. 
And Antiochus Epiphanes was that kind of man. His conquest. Now this is maybe a little bit confusing in verses 22 through 30. But his armies shall be utterly swept away. Armies shall be utterly swept away before him and broken. Verse 22 tells us. In other words, he's going to steamroll everybody. Nobody's going to be able to stand up to him. He defeats Ptolemy the sixth. And he makes a covenant, Ptolemy does, with Antiochus Epiphanes while Ptolemy the sixth is in prison. Antiochus Epiphanes has him imprisoned and Ptolemy makes a covenant with him to retake Egypt from Ptolemy the seventh, his brother. And verse 27 says that while they're sitting at the table making an agreement on how they're going to do this, they're actually trying to deceive each other. Antiochus Epiphanes inflicts carnage on Israel on the way home from a great victory in the south. He takes Egypt over. He imprisons its king, Ptolemy VI. He then makes a deal with Ptolemy VI to overthrow Ptolemy VII, but you know what's going to happen now. He's going to put Ptolemy VI back in charge, and then he's going to come back and defeat him. But on the way home, he stops by Israel. And the Bible says his heart shall be set against the holy covenant. We know this, what happens in history. You see, Israel's a crossroads. All of this warring between the north and the south, everybody's tromping back and forth through Israel. The whole time. Back and forth, back and forth. Armies are back and forth through Israel. And so Antiochus Epiphanes on his way home. He hears rumors of an insurrection in Israel. And so on his way home, he summarily slaughters 80,000 Jewish men, women, and children on his way back to Syria. He wants to make sure people fear him. He loots the temple. And he does this with the cooperation and help of an evil high priest. And so there are Jewish insiders that are actually helping him. Then we find in verses 29 and 30 that he turns around and he invades Egypt again in 168 B.C. But he's not successful this time. The Bible says he's, it's not going to be, verse 29, it's not going to be this time as it was before. The other times with his overwhelming army, he just invades and takes over. This time something's going to be different. And the Bible says ships of Katim shall come against him. Now Katim is now known as Crete. That was a Roman naval port. And so what happens this time is that Rome gets involved. And if you can remember the statue of the book of Daniel, the dream that Nebuchadnezzar has, there's a kingdom yet to come, and it's Rome. And we see Rome beginning to rise to power here. History tells us that the Roman commander met Antiochus outside of Alexandria, Egypt, and he told him two options. You can leave and live or you can face war and die. Those are your options. And then the commander of Rome took his sword and in the sand around Antiochus Epiphanes drew a circle. And Antiochus Epiphanes is standing in this circle that's been drawn in the sand. And the Roman commander says, I need your answer before you leave that circle. If you try to leave that circle without giving me a straight answer, I will slaughter you on the, on the spot. Antiochus Epiphanes decides he loves his life. 
And so he withdraws in humiliation from Egypt. But what we see that happens after this is something that is just ugly in world history. The events of history are taking place and as we've noted that all things are according to the counsel of God's will. What God desires, there it will be done because it's according to what he has decreed, what he has determined. Antiochus has not taken one step without the decree of God. God has a purpose and we'll see it soon. The events of the world, they're often hard to understand. Most of the time we really can't make any sense out of things as leaders rise and conquer and overthrow either by their economies or by their culture or by military force it's hard for us to understand the events of the world they don't always make sense but understand this God works all things according to the counsel of his will God so orchestrates the events of our lives that they end up contributing to exactly what he has determined will be done. In 1993, I preached several crusades in Kiev. We saw hundreds of people coming to Christ. The people were so hungry, all we had to do was stand somewhere and announce we're going to preach the Word of God. And people would come from everywhere to hear the Bible preached. Many of them for the very first time. The Bible had been outlawed, that former satellite of the Soviet Union. And so they came to hear the gospel. And I remember... My preacher friend Jeff, as we preached under this giant statue of V.I. Lenin, the founder of communism in Russia, and we said these words, all flesh is as grass, but the word of our God stands forever. There is a purpose in every event of life. Even things that you have done in the past that you think maybe were not that big a deal. God has a purpose and a reason. Things are taking place in your life that are it's not according to your plan. Surprise! God is bringing about even the hardship in your life for His purpose. Some of you in life, you have struggled, 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 struggled all of your life. You've never had, you've never awakened one day in life and it's been easy. And you ask yourself, why is it so hard for me? Other people seem to have it easier. Why has God done this to me and made my life so hard? And the answer is, do you know, beloved, how much sin God is keeping you from? He loves you. That's why he does it. God is orchestrating the events. He is guiding the steps of Antiochus Epiphanes. Why? Because he's going to ensure that the gospel comes into the world. 
Look at the oppression next by this madman. And again, remember, God is telling the Jews ahead of time, this is what's going to happen. In verse 30, we read half of it. The second half says that he shall be enraged and, and take action against the Holy Covenant. He shall turn back and pay attention to those who forsake the Holy Covenant. Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress and shall take away the regular burnt offering. And they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. What you see happens next is with Antiochus Epiphanes, his humiliation in Egypt at the hands of Rome. As he comes back to Syria, he makes another stop in Judea. And this time, in his rage, he decides to take it out on Judea. History tells us that what happens is that the Jews heard that he had been killed, that Antiochus Epiphanes had been killed in Egypt. They were celebrating his death when he arrives. Not a good thing. Just, they should have known. Don't believe everything you see on Facebook. So Antiochus sends Apollonius, his tribute collector, into Judea. And Apollonius pretends to come in peace just to collect taxes. Instead, with the help of false Jews. And notice the Bible points them out. It says here that those who forsake the Holy Covenant. You see that in verse 30? Those are false Jews. Those are people who are Jewish by ethnicity. But they're not Jewish by faith. It's possible, you know, to be ethnically Jewish does not give you a pass for eternity. Some people have the mistaken idea that just because you're born as a Jew, that somehow you have the blessing of God upon you, and he's not going to let you go to hell. Really? That's not what Paul said. If that were the case, then Ishmael would also be saved. The scripture says no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. We would say it this way. Being baptized doesn't make you a Christian. It takes a baptism by the blood of Jesus of the heart then the outward baptism demonstrates that that's a reality in your life. It's possible for people to join churches as they have. It's possible for people to be baptized as they have. And yet their hearts are no different at all. And so the majority of the Jews of that day were exactly that way. They had the covenant. They had the Old Testament. They had the gospel. They had the prophets, they had the writings, they had the teachings, and yet they were hardened against salvation through Jesus. And so when Antiochus Epiphanes, it's like having Adolf Hitler come and inflict the Holocaust on them, and he has Jews helping him. And what we find here is that those who truly are in Christ in that day that persecution will come to them. And not only that, we see the persecution of the believers, but also the desecration of the temple. They set up the abomination that makes desolate, the Bible says. 
Antiochus Epiphanes sets up an altar to Zeus in the temple. And then he sacrifices pigs. And he causes the faithful to abandon the temple and leave it desolate of Yahweh worshipers. The swine were sacrificed on December 25th, 167 B.C. We have the date. Again, Antiochus Epiphanes, the forerunner of the Antichrist. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? And we'll see that as we go a little bit further in Daniel, how that he's a, a, a forerunner. He's a glimpse of the kind of person the Antichrist will be at the end of time. Now look at the preservation, though, of the faithful and all of this. It's not all bad news. In the midst of, of a, a, just a nightmare that's going on, remember thousands are being murdered in the streets, men, women, children. And the Bible says here in verse 32 and following, he shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant. Again, those who are apostate. But the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. And the wise among the people shall make many understand. Though for some days they shall stumble by sword and flame, by captivity and plunder. When they stumble, they shall receive a little help. And many shall join themselves to them with flattery. And some of the wise shall stumble so that they may be refined, purified, and made white until the time of the end, for it still awaits the appointed time. The preservation of the faithful. There's a falling away because of the persecution here. There's a falling away of all of the pretenders. He's, the verse 32 says, He shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant. That is, those who are truly not believing in the Messiah. Through flattery, he's going to draw them away. And they're going to be shown for what they really are, apostates. Those who have said with their mouths, but their hearts were not given to the Lord. And one of the things that we see God doing here is refining his people. When my dad used to deal with cattle, you have to go through and call out those that were of a bad breed. You didn't want that disease to perpetuate in the herd. And so you have to call them out. Because they're not really what you need. God does the same thing. He prunes. He takes away that which has grown with the people of God. But yet is not truly attached to the vine. And he clears that out. He's doing that with his people in this day with Antiochus Epiphanes. He's purifying his people so that those who truly are not in Christ will come out from among the people of God and not identify with them. Now why is that so important? And here's the reason it's so important. It's because God's people, we are the gospel made visible. The world out there doesn't read the Bible by and large. They read you. They read us together. And so if we among ourselves are going to allow people who are not showing any credible testimony to the Lord Jesus to call themselves by our name here, we're actually presenting an anti-testimony to the world and to our community. Do you see why it's so important? Membership matters. We have so many groups today that think it doesn't matter. Everybody, you just... 
you just come in. And they think membership belongs in the hands of the individual. That if you want to join, we don't have any say in such matters. I guess we'll have to take you because you want to. Wrong. Some people think they get to decide whether they as an individual get to have their name removed from the church role or not. Wrong. The church has the authority to decide whether or not your life is contributing to the testimony of the gospel. We're not talking about perfection. We think the gospel ought to model forgiveness. But forgiveness is for those who are striving to obey the Lord, not those who are ignoring the Lord. And so this is what God is doing. He's cleansing these people from out from among them. And so those who are not true and not going to bear fruit, they're falling away. But also in this, the faithfulness of the believers, God is working to ensure and to encourage them. Because he says, but the people who know their God, in verse 32b, who know their God shall stand firm and take action. There was a priest named Mattathias. He had five sons. Three of them during this time took action. They were known as the Maccabees. You may have heard of that. Do you know what Maccabee means? hammer these are the real Thors the three hammers sounds like a rock group so these these boys were known as the three hammers and they led a revolt that overthrew the Syrian yoke and reinstituted worship in the temple in 163 BC and you know what date December the 25th What was God's purpose in all of this? Again, cleanse the people who claim to love Him. The only way that God can squeeze out of our hearts the pus of our corruption is to squeeze us with trials. The only way He can get that out of us Especially when it's deeply, just to bring trials and difficulty into our lives. We have to ask ourselves this question about life. What do I really want in life? Do I want comfort and ease? Is that going to be my goal? If that's your goal, I would say to you, run from Jesus. Do you want a pure life? Do you want a life that is dedicated to the Lord, that loves Him? Then you and I are going to have to be willing To receive from the hand of the Lord that which is easy and that which is hard. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 2 Timothy 3.12 Will be. Welcome to the club. To cleanse his people. Secondly, not only to cleanse them individually... To help them to grow in holiness, but also to get out from among them those who were pretenders. Those who were ethnic Jews. They were Jews in name, but they were not Jews. They were not true Jews like Abraham who believed in God and it was imputed to him by faith. Righteousness was imputed to him. That's the kind of Jew that's a true Jew. Additionally, God wanted to show the world that he keeps his word. 
that he would have for himself a people. And that through that people would come the Messiah, the Savior of the world. He would not go back upon his promise to David that there shall not fail to be a king from you to sit upon the throne. He would not fail in his promise that there would be one who would come that would be wounded for our transgressions. And that our iniquities would be laid upon him. He would not fail to keep his word. One of the main points of the book of Daniel. Is simply this. God orchestrates history. In order to bring about the result that he will bring about. He orchestrated history so that. Would not fail That the Messiah would be born at exactly the right time, the right place, just as he had said. And he's still orchestrating history so that the world will come to the feet of Jesus and declare that he is Lord and God. In your Bible for just a moment, I I want you just to scan something with me for just a second. Just as a reminder. Verse 24 at the very end. Do Do you see... All of these things are, are being done and plans are being made and covenants and agreements are being made between kings and nations. But at the end of verse 24, but only for a time. At the end of verse 27, they shall speak lies at the same table. They're going to de- try to deceive each other, but to no avail. Why? For the end is yet to be at the time appointed. If you look at verse 29. At the time appointed he shall return. Do you know what the Bible is telling us here? Once again. God is in control. Even over whether a treaty between two nations stands or falls. God controls it. You say well. Then if God controls this, what, what, what are we to do? I mean, we should just go home and sit down in the recliner and watch some basketball. Well, that's not a bad thing. On a Sunday after church and pastors beat you up. No, you get up and you go to work like you're supposed to. You live for Christ like you're supposed to. If, if you're someone who is involved in in government you go to your job and you do it to the best of your ability under the leadership of God you raise your kids like you're supposed to you see God works through all of these causes and you are exercising your free will to do these things that is true but the choices that you're making by your free will are according to the decree of God How do those two things work together? At some point as a human being, you have to just sit down and say, I just don't know. How does God do all these things? I just don't know. How does it work? I I just don't know. But what we do know is this. Even with evil people, God controls it and decides it. So again, God has orchestrated hardships. In our lives, 
and events in the world that are less than what we would imagine or want. But those things have a purpose. COVID had a purpose. It helps us to see, are we going to live in fear or are we going to trust our God? This is not, the, the talk is among Christians about these kinds of things, it's just, it's, it's just off base. We want to try to judge each other's faith based upon whether you got vaccinated or didn't get vaccinated. I would submit to you it takes faith either way. So we don't, don't judge each other over those things. That's silly. But what we do want to do is encourage each other to recognize this is no shock to God. As a matter of fact, God brought it. Now, what shall we do in response to adversity and difficulty? Shall we go into a shell and say, I, I'm just not coming back to church, Pastor, until you can guarantee me that 100% of your congregants have been vaccinated 87 times. What, what am I going to do? Make you roll up a sleeve? Carry a card to church? This ain't one of those places. Uh, you you got to make them wear a mask. No, you wear a mask and shut up. I mean, if, if, under God, if, if you feel safer doing that, then wear one. It's okay with me. I don't mind. You know, just don't wear a ski mask. It's a little creepy. But, but, but this is about how we view God. It's no accident. If God brought it, he has a reason. So then we have to begin to look for, okay, then what is the benefit? What has God done? Well, Pastor, you, you don't know what this has done to my 401k. Well, it may not be COVID. It may be somebody else behind that. But, but, but what are you looking for here? Are you looking for the work of God in hardship? What's he trying to do? Well, he's trying to do a couple of things for sure. One, he's trying to cleanse your life and my life. Secondly, He's trying to cleanse out from among his people those who are not true. Build the faith of believers and glorify his name. Something else that he's doing in this passage of scripture, and we'll get to this next time, if God wills, and that is this. He is setting us up to give us a picture of the end. With Daniel, he's giving these historical things that are going to happen uh, directly to Israel, they're going to affect Israel in some way. So he gives us these events of the history of the world. We walk through those from Nebuchadnezzar all the way up to Antiochus Epiphanes. And so we're looking at these things. And Rome is getting ready to come on the scene. And we have a hint of that here. And so then what he's going to say is this. Now, as you see these things unfolding, and you have seen that I've told you ahead of time, now trust what I'm going to tell you about the end of time. And that's the message of the book of Daniel. I want to ask you to do this. Would you just bow with me for a word of prayer? And then we're going to observe the Lord's Supper. So let's, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for being so kind as to show us 
things that you have determined in history so we'll know you have it. Lord, you, in no way have you given us in the Bible every detail about everything so that you would satisfy every curiosity that we might possibly have. You still expect us to live by faith. That's what the justified people do. But we thank you, Lord, that you give us things out of history like this that we can look at, and it just bolsters our faith. And so thank you for that, Father. But also, Lord, we, having seen this, must take, it, take you at your word that there is a day coming when Jesus will return. And those who are, have been justified by faith in him will be raised to the, the resurrection of righteousness. And those who have not will be raised in condemnation. And that we must all give account before him with whom we have to do. And so, Lord, in light of that day that's coming, I pray, Lord, for your people, first of all, that we would be careful how we walk as we studied in Sunday school to conduct ourselves with fear. But, Lord, for those who do not yet know Jesus and they have not fled to him for shelter, for peace, for cancellation of the debt against them, I pray, Father, that they would begin to understand that you're not kidding that you have always told us the truth. And so, Lord, you're telling the truth that whoever comes to Christ will be saved, but whoever does not will be condemned. Plain and simple. So, God, with that in mind, I pray you'd work in our hearts according to our needs. Let the Holy Spirit of God, may he take the sermon and cleanse out of it that which is not of you. And take that which is of you and work it in the hearts of those people that need to hear it most today. And I pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.